Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So let us begin. This week, the story is about concluding a trilogy, something that Star Wars itself only sometimes succeeds in doing. The last two weeks, we've been collectively making uh, a list of our favorite Star Wars characters. One by one, we're taking turns. We've ranked 44 so far, leaving today to get through to 66. Now, Ross, last week, we, we saw our tastes start to diverge after uh, week one, where I think we both played it safe. We picked a lot of essential characters. Does the end of a master list have essential characters the same way the beginning of a master list does? Yes. I'm not quite sure I fully understand what you mean in terms of, do you think that there are some characters that could still be in someone's top 10 that will be in our last final third? Is that what you're kind of referring to? I, I guess what I mean is we led with a bunch of characters that nobody would dismiss and neither and neither of us were bold enough to say, no, screw Anakin. My favorite is absolutely Captain Panaka. Or, or like, and that's just a funny example, but like- well, my. My favorite is Yoda. I mean, it's in terms of going the, the far obscure. We've got the Bail Organa being ranked in the top 20. Um, that one's maybe a little obscure. So what I'm saying not too is many. in the finals of this master list, is any weight going to be given to, we're, we're rounding the corner on this. I really got to get Panaka in there. Uh, no. Okay. Because for me, uh, it, it, it's it's just a ranking. The The highest person on the list will be the person I want in the most. All right. Uh, and so for, for me, if uh, if it's, it, there will probably be some people I'll be disappointed I can't get in, but I won't have the slots left to put them in higher. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll be crossing my fingers that you, you take up as many people on my list as possible okay. between the spots that I have left up until like 66 so that that way I know I can get as many deep weed characters. I think there are going to be some ones like there's certainly some characters that are 40 plus years old uh, that are going to be uh, in this section. So uh, I think it'll be good. I think I know where you're going to go with number 45, but I'll let you uh, kick things off. Our 45th favorite Star Wars character is. So we ended off last time at 44 with Cassian, and at 45, we're going to go with K2SO. And so it's a little disappointing to not have uh, him in the first season of Andor uh, for the kind of one of the big things Andor lacked was comedic relief. Uh, but I cannot wait for him to show back up in season two of Andor because he is, in some ways, the heart and soul of Rogue One. And Rogue One is an absolute masterclass. And especially the way they make you care with so few prominent characters that we had seen before. But K2SO, I feel, maybe more than any of the characters that were introduced, gave the most impactful death, and he's a droid. Mm. K2SO is, is funny, uh, strong, heartfelt, part of a great dynamic duo, uh, and absolutely necessary to be in the top 50, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's like one of the great Star Wars magic tricks by an actor when they can really bring to life a droid. And I think that was very effective in, in Alan Tudyk's K2SO. Uh, number 46 is Django Fett, who I think kind of lives in the shadow of his son's character, who is, of course, like a richer and now more storied uh, 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 Star Wars anti-hero, but Django's pretty fascinating too. Um, all of the stuff on Kamino, and then of course down to the final uh, clone battle on on Geonosis, his beheading, um, and him just being the first person to to wear that Mandalorian armor in in his lineage. Uh, Django Fett, I think, is 
in a sense, exactly as cool as Boba Fett, just without exactly the same life story. And so, um, yeah, Jango Fett for what he contributed to the entire clone army in his DNA. Yeah, the Jango Fett uh, has a totally different life story, but gives you this, evokes the same character on screen in a certain way. We Now we have a bit more from Boba Fett now as he's adapted through the book of Boba Fett. Uh, but yeah, Jango Fett's incredibly important to the overall history of the galaxy. He's one of the most important people in the history of the galaxy because there were more of him than anyone in the history of the galaxy. Yeah. There were lots of Django Fets out there. Um, I think he was actually handed his armor down from a mentor. So I don't think he's necessarily the first in his lineage. I think they showed that when Boba showed the history, um, kind of hollowed up uh, on his armor. But either way, I think that was maybe one of the cooler Django Fett moments in seeing the way that that was such an important thing for Boba to reclaim mm. and showing kind of that connected history. And so Django was in my top 66, so I'm glad that uh, you put him in here. Why exactly did he get selected? Is there a Cole's notes on why he was chosen as such a perfect specimen for the clones? Mandalorians are bred to be fighters, uh, and he was one of the best, one of the most ruthless, and somebody who certainly had the biggest resume at the time. Uh, Mandalore was at a peaceful time, and this guy was kind of a Mandalorian in the sense that he was a part of, he was born on one of the Mandalore moons and was a bit part of one of the cult groups, but he had built up a pretty good resume. And so they knew that they could rely on this guy killing a lot of people. Who's number 47? Number 47 is uh, the character in Star Wars that I have most disassociated from their origin in the sense that the name means less to me in this world of Star Wars than it does to me in the real world. Uh, and that would be the character of Wicket, because oh. I named my dog Wicket. And so now every time I hear this, because it's a name that's mentioned so infrequently in Star Wars canon out loud, that every time I hear it, I think of my dog first, which is one of the only times that happens <laughs> in the world of Star Wars. Like I, I have a rabbit named Yoda, but because Yoda's so high on the list and Yoda's such a prominent character, I'm able to dissociate the two, whereas Wicked always confuses me. But Wicked is such a lovable character. And the moment that he has with Leia in Return of the Jedi, where you really see why Leia is the leader of the Rebellion, and you have the Empire just completely bastardizing this planet, and Leia reaching out her hand and like sharing a snack and sitting on a log and then Wicked brings her back. And it's this really heartwarming moment that you don't get too much of. I mean, there's a lot of heartwarming moments in the original trilogy, but there aren't a ton of moments of compassion with creatures. And this is one where you see a ton of compassion with creatures and the camaraderie that the rebellion has uh, and kind of that unified uh, one with the force and all living things mindset uh, kind of contrasted with the Empire. And that's what the we Ewoks evoke. And Wicket is the cutest of all the Ewoks uh, and goes on to have a, a great uh, kind of life and becomes the chief uh, and has a son as well. And we get to see him return in Rise of Skywalker and, of course, played by Warwick Davis. So everybody loves Wicket. When you tell people your dog is named after an Ewok, does anybody ever give you lip about that? Because some people are weird about e Ewoks and they have some kind of vendetta, some kind of axe to grind. No, anybody I think that would um, recognize, like, acknowledges that it's a Star Wars connection, either just it goes right over their head or they just like the fact that it's a Star Wars connection. It, I'm always impressed when 
they know the like what wicket is as opposed to like a sticky wicket or something right like just like old british slang um <laughs> that they know it's a star wars reference um because he looks like an ewok as well so i think that's always fun number 48 i'm gonna give to darth plagueis imagine having this much impact on star wars and never even appearing oh i just sent you a ways Imagine having so much oh of a footprint God. on greater Star Wars and never actually having to show your face or exist beyond a mythic tale told by another supervillain. We all cannot wait for the inevitable day where they uh, bring Darth Plagueis into the storyline. It's going to be magnificent. Um, I really hope that it lives up to its potential because it's one of those things that Star Wars has been hyping for generations. My arrogance blinded me. <laughs> I missed. It's, yeah, uh, I didn't I didn't think there would be a character that you would put in your top 66 that I would forget about. But yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, I think it's mostly because I know like 99% of what I know about Darth Plagueis is still technically legends, mm -hmm. but he's not. And no. so we can infer that that legend is what our headcanon can be until it's confirmed otherwise. Sure. And so I totally think this is a great choice. Considering that he's never seen it on screen, he's just mentioned in a story the impact that that has and the excitement this character gives us and how many of us wanted Snoke to be that character and how much we still are desperate to see this character on screen. And then also the fact that the novel is a friggin' masterpiece. Yeah. It's the best Star Wars novel I've I've read. Um, it's I, I, I probably the best ones are the legend or a couple of the legends ones revenge of the sith adaptation darth plagueis um those would be probably like the two best and then i mostly just have read the canon ones because some of the other legends or stories are crazy but darth plagueis there's such a rich lore there and even if they only keep a third of it consistent within canon he's still going to be an amazing character that we're all going to love and so phenomenal choice uh and a great surprise to see on the list well, uh, you'll get an opportunity to to redistribute him on the list a little bit later if you want to place him a little bit higher. So you have some time to think about that. But I think it's actually a, a decent spot considering the we don't have enough context, right. but he's still so important. So I, I actually think it's a great spot. Okay, well, what's number 49? Number 49 on the list is a character who definitely would not have been ranked this high if it weren't for recent events. Um, but this would be Mon Mothma, mm. somebody who has such a great impact across the galaxy. Uh, really interesting home life we got to see inside in Andor. Uh, somebody who's a, a pure pacifist, but has survived throughout all of the changes of the Republic into its worst phases, and then calls out Palpatine before going into hiding so that the galaxy actually knows what's going on. And this really is the only way the Rebel Alliance is able to grow to the scale that it does. And she makes some mistakes after the original trilogy that lead to the galaxy not being prepared for the First Order. Um, so it's not like I'm saying Mon Mothma is a perfect character, but Mon Mothma is a really interesting character and essential to Star Wars. And also, Carolyn Blackiston, I mean, that's a, a pretty prominent scene, and it's a very stoic performance. The many Bothans died to bring us this information, and the way that she just owns the room with all of these star characters. You know she means business, uh, and that's something that uh, is needs to be recognized. But I'm really excited we're getting this younger Mon Mothma, because Genevieve O'Reilly is just killing it. Yeah, wh what about OG Mon Mothma? Is she still alive? Is she still out there? Uh, to be honest, I have no idea. Um, 
I think she's like worked quite a bit. I think she's just kind of like a, I don't know if she's alive. It wouldn't made sense really to where to slaughter in in the sequel trilogy. So I'm okay if she is alive that they didn't use her or maybe she's passed away. I just, I don't know that one. You're right though. She she really has one of those essential original character designs and she's not somebody who as a kid you give a single shit about. You don't care at all about Mon Mothma when you're watching Star Wars for the first time as a little boy uh, or girl. But uh, now that they've been able to expand her character, we know in our recent um, journey through Andor that that was kind of the the story point that had me most uh, intrigued. So I think Mon Mothma is a really good choice. Are we ready for number 50? She's alive. Yes, but she's alive and 89. Oh, okay. God bless her. Number 50, uh, Grief Karga, who's turned out to be like one, one of the great, like, secondary supporting Star Wars characters in recent years. It turns out Carl Weathers is a phenomenal addition to a Star Wars ensemble. He's just teeming with charisma. He has sort of a moral ambiguity, although over time we come to realize that, nah, this is our guy. Grief Karga is definitely on the good guy's side. He's uh, it's, it's always a pleasure when he and Mando reunite, if only so you can hear him say, Mando! Um, and I'm excited to see him again in some spectacular looking threads in the upcoming third season of Mando. So Grief Karga at 50. Grief Karga is an, is an impressive chap. Uh, he seems to be really turning Navarro around. Uh, and probably somebody, he was just outside my top 66, but I could see with more screen time, uh, like just outside. Um, I could see with more screen time j- just jumping up because every time he's on screen, he's likable. Uh, he was a little underutilized in season two, but that's because he was also directing that episode. Uh, so I'd like to see maybe a little bit more on screen Carl Weathers. However, I do think it'll probably be the same situation in Mando season three, probably in just one episode and probably the one directed by him. But maybe we'll get a couple. He is boisterous and feels like he completely belongs in the galaxy far, far away. And uh, yeah, it was a great addition to Mando and really, really necessary in those first few episodes to setting the tone, having a little bit of levity in there and just making you kind of understand the the underworld and the the state of the galaxy. He gave a lot of exposition without it feeling weird at all. He's also the kind of character who eventually might die in a heroic moment and it's really going to hurt. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great point whereas Mando shot grief in like episode 3. Yeah. But now after all like knowing like he he knew it was okay. Um but after all this time uh, he's got like an IG-11 statue constructed and it looks like the people who attack Navarro tear that down. And so like he's got he's built up a lot of his honor back as like Gideon was mocking him as being um, just like a washed up former magistrate. And so it's it's really great that he's recaptured his former glory. Uh, your turn for number 51, please. Number 51 is a character who really had some ridiculous shoes to fill. And it wasn't fair for this character, but it was executed extremely well. And that's BB-8. I was going to say it's BB-8, yeah. BB-8 is a really, really impressive rehash of R2. And to be honest, BB-8 is the best representation of The Force Awakens in a lot of ways. He's not the same as Mm. R2. Right. He's chipper. He's happy. He's got a modern tech sphere ball at the end. He's got a ton of personality like R2, but it's a different personality. And he's also cute and he's smaller, but like you kind of have that mirroring, like Force Awakens is trying to restart and mirror a lot of things in A New Hope. 
and you need to have your droid take you on the journey. They didn't want to do a new 3PO, but that's why they needed so much personality in this one little droid BB-8 as he bounces between all of our main characters, whether it's starting with Poe or having to make up lies with Finn or like getting Ray to like save him from Tito and then ultimately forming probably his strongest bond with her over the course of the trilogy. And so BB-8, that's some big shoes to fill having R2-D2, like a peripheral top 10 character. Uh, and I think BB-8 does it pretty damn good. Uh, the, the, the lighter thumbs up, uh, the way that uh, when the Falcon's doing all the tricks, he's able to support himself in the hallway by flying out a bunch of those yeah. sticks. Uh, the way you're able to know what he's saying without him, like the beeps the same way R2 does, uh, beautifully executed and uh, just a fun character. You make a good point about the youth of BB-8 too, because it's a really easy comparison we make a lot that droids, particularly the ones who don't speak or just sidekicks, the ones who don't speak English, um, are kind of like pets. They're kind of like dogs. And that is kind of the case uh, with with R2-D2, although he has kind of an age and a wisdom to him. He's kind of like an old dog who still has like a cuteness because mm. all dogs do. But like he's clearly wiser than BB-8, who has this like spryness. Um, and m part of that is just size and and. Uh, you're right. What an interesting concept. I wonder what the room was like when they were like, well, let's make the new R2 orange and he'll be like a little volleyball. He'll just like roll around and he'll be full of energy. I think that was a really clever idea. Yeah, it, it really was a clever idea and great with the dog comparison. Like Poe even rubs his belly at one point. And so <laughs> uh, it, it's a good fit there. I Your think next one. I'm going to give number 52 to director Krennic from Rogue One portrayed splendidly by Ben Mendelsohn. Scarcely has there been uh, an Imperial officer better cast. I mean, they've done it well a number of times, but this is among the very best. Just a one-off character and a great representation of a person who has a lot of evil in him, but also you see his many weaknesses and his his hunger and, frankly, his failure to achieve the success within his magistrate that, that he sees for himself. And so... To see somebody in that uniform, his is like, I guess, all white, but in a uniform of that ilk in Star Wars, flounder and fail and then ultimately be drooling and sniveling and and unsuccessful in the climax of that movie is so interesting. It's kind of not what you usually get from the grace of the Empire. And then through this unbelievably good Australian character actor, um, I would like to see more Ben Mendelsohn. I was disappointed we didn't see him in Andor. I'm confident we will in season two. Um, but yeah, bring me more of that guy. I realize the the Krennic storyline is finite. There's not going to be tons and tons, but I think there can be a little more. Yeah, extremely well said. He was just a couple slots away from me. So great, great choice. Uh, Krennic, yeah, he's pathetic, but at the same time, he's terrifying. He's similar to Tarkin, yet he's nothing like Tarkin. Hmm. He's trying to be just like Tarkin, but he's failing. And it's really an interesting take to give us that in someone who still has a lot of power. But you show the way that the Empire doesn't return the favor in the effort that he's given them by just wiping them off the like the face of the of Scarif by knowing his failure was worthy of him dying. And so yeah, Krennic's a great choice. I really want to see more of him. I agree with everything you said there. Okay, great. Uh, your turn for 53. Uh, 53 would be a character that the, the the masses are going to become much more familiar with soon, uh, despite being the lead character already in a Star Wars TV show. And that'd be Ezra Bridger. 
Huh. And so Ezra starts out as uh, a little bit annoying, fairly childish Star Wars Aladdin. And quickly he sheds that kind of Aladdin-like identity and really forms uh, himself into being a really interesting Jedi. He's somebody who has a strong connection with creatures and animals. Uh, and just he's quite in tune with the Force as well, probably more so than even his master, Kanan. But he's learning alongside Kanan. His master is a Padawan. And so he's the Padawan of a Padawan. And so he's going to be a little bit more easily tempted by the dark side when someone like Maul comes along and is able to kind of spin a nice story for him. And he really does kind of flirt that line a little nicer and a little bit more believably than some characters do in Star Wars, whether or not they're going to go bad. And I could see Ezra being on Thrawn's side hmm. when Ahsoka finds him. And that he is not what they remember him to be because of kind of the character that he's evolved to. I could also see that he's built up kind of a, a strong connection with a, like a different creature or life force and has kind of a, a stronger allegiance to them than the Jedi or the galaxy that he was in during the time of Rebels. But he's a really interesting character, somebody who we could see unlocking a lot of mysteries alongside Ahsoka uh, into kind of the 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 really trippy side of the force and so Ezra's an exciting character in the gateway into a lot of that yeah this is one of those Star Wars characters one of those um animation characters that were like just on the cusp of getting to learn more about in a live action context and so I'm excited to be more um initiated with Ezra who I mean I only watched like the first few episodes of of Rebels and I wasn't like a huge fan of his but I understand that his storyline is is expanded upon and, and and given a lot more. And so I'm excited to see uh, what's that what that's going to bring. Uh, my number 54, I'm kind of waffling a little bit. I'm going to give it to Kira, in part just because we've spent so much time talking about her, and so obviously she has a special place for us, but a, a character type that is sometimes flirted with in Star Wars, but not always uh, delved in upon quite so much as Kira Um is the Benedict Arnold, like the outright traitor. Yes, we had like a Lando Calrissian, but like ultimately that dude's a good guy and he comes back and he's, you know, he saves the day. But the twist that it turns out Han Solo's first girlfriend, who he came back for like he said he would, is maybe as evil as they come, is really interesting. And I mean, we love Amelia Clark. This is like one of one of the stories that, that obviously has left us craving. And, and while Solo in general was not a movie we desperately needed, it planted a seed in there that I think could grow a really big garden. And so get Amelia Clark back. This is not an actress who seems terribly busy. So, so hire her and give me a really sweet story about what uh what an evil lady she might in fact be. Although one with some 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 nuance and some humanities. Yeah, it's it's interesting. She does a lot of evil, but I don't know if she is inherently evil. And so it'll be interesting to kind of see a character who is Han Solo gone too far, basically. Yeah. And I didn't really realize that's what we got until after several viewings and realizing I'm not as big of I'm not, I don't really love this movie. It, it's 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 OK. It's enjoyable, but it's not it's certainly not Star Wars best. But Kira was the nugget that continuously grew on me more and more in Solo because this character's got so many layers. And I agree with you. We can learn a lot more. 
they've really, really given us a lot of the Kira story in the comics, which is disappointing in my opinion, because mm. it's not a medium that I'm super in tune with. And I, do, I, I think he's probably one of the lower consumed Star Wars mediums. And Amelia Clark like, seems like somebody that we could probably get back and plays a very prominent role in the underworld of Star Wars, something that we're getting more of. Amelia Clark could make sense. Kira could make sense to show up in the Mandoverse in some capacity. She wouldn't be that much older, and it, like, it really could work. But I agree with you. Kira's a great choice. Uh, was just one more away for me on my list. So I was really happy you slotted her in there. Isn't that interesting? We've actually come back together on a lot of things here. We've like diverged a few times, and then we come back, and we are generally placing some people in very mutual spots on the list. Yeah, I think there's going to be a few more, to be honest, based off of how many slots we have left. I think I'll only surprise you once, probably from here on out. Uh, and then there'll be some ones that like, or only one that you don't really know of. Um, but the next one I'm going to go with is one that you do, and that would be Cheer at M-Way. Nice. Uh, because that's a, a really, really underestimated and under i guess represented character we don't get enough cheer i guess i'm not, i'm missing my word missing my words there a little bit but he's someone who is kind of a jedi we don't get that a whole lot someone right. who uses the force understands the force maz kanata kind of says like i am no jedi but i and I've, I've seen the force and blah 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 and so but cheer it's somebody who's really quite in tune like if it's a scale he's right on the line he uses it so that he can see and he has this staff and he's part of a great dynamic duo with bays but he gets all the really good lines because he's cheeky and funny uh when they put a bag over his head and he gets mad at them like because he's blind uh he also has some great lines about like uh, telling cassian that there are many kinds of prisons i sense you carry yours with you wherever you go <laughs> uh and I, he's just a deep character who goes out in the mo in an extremely Jedi way and serves the purpose of the Jedi role in that movie without being a Jedi. Uh, Chirrut's somebody that always puts a smile on my face and the Guardians of the Wills are a much... That's a, that's a rich area that we could really explore a lot more, and I really, really hope we do in Star Wars, whether it's through the Ahsoka show or any of the other shows. It's something that... Star Wars has had an existence since early drafts of A New Hope, like in 1975, 1974, the Guardians of the Wills existed. And then we finally get to see them, but barely, and after the church has kind of been closed down already. So I want to see more to the Chirrut story. Uh, I don't think we're going to get more, though. No, but uh, also... A lot of Star Wars' original roots are in samurai films, and we don't really get enough martial arts in all of Star Wars. Um, Ray Park obviously like brought a different kind of physicality to combat, um, but overall, it it doesn't really have that vibe. Although Chirrut Mway's physicality is very specific, and and I think it does a lot to convey to an audience. To your point, that the Force is more than just this "you're a wizard, Harry" thing. It is this thing that can be harnessed by all kinds of, of wise beings. And I don't know, we probably had the right amount of Chirrut in all of Star Wars. There could be like a good little comic book to tell his story, but certainly he is a highlight of Rogue One, which is saying something because we know I love that movie. 
Yeah. Now I, I would like a little bit more, or even just more characters like him, because he he brought a little special something we don't, don't always see. Fifty six is Shmi Skywalker, who is another character who, as a kid, you're kind of like, who cares about this lady? Like, wh what's the point here? But then, as you watch it, you realize like there's a very interesting story happening with this character, and and it's it's a tragic one. This woman has led a horrific life. She did find love and a family in some fashion, I guess, later on. Um, but she essentially had to uh, say goodbye to everything that every brought, ever brought her joy. And her ultimate fate is uh, torture and death. Um, but that particular story gives way to the main focal point of all of Star Wars, which is Anakin's uh, rise and fall. Um, We've talked a lot about Qui-Gon Jinn and how uh, his moments with, with Shmi are, they have a lot of gravitas. They really drive that middle act on Tatooine. Um, there's a warmth to Shmi Skywalker, uh, and uh, I, have a, I have a really special place for her. Yes, there's absolutely a warmth to Shmi Skywalker. There's something almost consistent between Shmi and Bail Organa as these extremely, and both actually both Organa parents, they're all very warm and they really have some firecracker children. <laughs> yeah. But they're able to teach them and really be incredible parents to them. And in the case of Anakin, Shmi is in no way at fault. She does everything she can. He's got a lot of anger. That's And the Jedi mess him up a little bit. But she'll give up the only thing that she loves in the world so that he can have a better life. Uh, and the, some of her lines about stopping um, the suns from setting and like, don't look back. And then to get to see Anakin at the last minute before she dies is really nice, but he's still unable to save her. She carries so much weight uh, when uh, her image is used to manipulate Anakin on Mortis. It's just, it's very powerful yeah. and horrible what the sun is doing. And so she carries a lot of weight, somebody that, I would love to see utilized in, again in Star Wars in some way because she's so important, but probably can't. It probably wouldn't make any sense. And the story is is wrapped up. It's nice that she had some peace with Klieg, but it, she had a pretty horrible end for being. And it, really, she was a slave for most of her life as well. So someone who's just tragedy. Oh, yeah. Tough life. Through and through. Yeah. Uh, but a, a beautiful soul nonetheless. And that's that's nice to have in Star Wars because there aren't that many people who are that pure who aren't Jedi. 57. Next on the list, uh, this is the one curveball that you will not know of and probably I haven't even mentioned at any point, but this would be Agent Callus. So Callus is a really interesting character from Rebels and one that is just miserable he is a miserable bastard in the first few seasons he seems like a like a a genocidal maniac who hates the jedi <laughs> and will do anything to stop the rebels crew however at some point i think in season two he gets trapped with um the zeb who is part of the rebels crew and is of the lasat species who callus helped wipe out and after spending some time with Zeb, he really realizes the error of his ways and doesn't do what every other kind of Star Wars character that wants to go on a redemption arc does. He just doubles down and stays in the Empire and starts feeding information. Oh. And 
he becomes the most valuable double agent for the rebels for like a couple years. He's known as the fulcrum agent. He steps in in place of Ahsoka, who had held that title previously. Uh, he becomes an incredible piece for them. And in the end, of course, joins in with the rebels after being discovered by Thrawn. Thrawn is able to pinpoint the callus is the leak in the empire after they need to bring in the big guns after a couple more seasons, because how are the rebels co constantly getting one over on us? And then you really get to see this other side of callus. And in the end, he actually goes off with Zeb to, to try and unite the last of his people in the galaxy and somebody who's just actually atoning for his sins and doing everything he can to make it right at the same time being snarky and hilarious. So it's almost like the empire's Han Solo who loves rules. So he's got that kind of attitude and humor, but none of the, the kind of the carefree nature. And so he's a really interesting character and one I'd, I'd really like you to be able to see. Um, and a character they did not remotely design like the actor because it's uh, he's a white blonde guy and he's voiced by David Oyelowo. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at him. He's kind of got a pretty boy quality in one picture. And then elsewhere, he has uh, a bit of a pencil head. Like he's got a real masculine look and big mutton chops. Yes, uh, the the mutton chops I think are pro like he's got the mutton chops throughout the whole way, uh, but yeah, he's got that Buzz Lightyear sort of look. Yeah, and uh, he's supposed to be he's supposed to be the, an empire the empire's like best little schoolboy, uh, and completely turns on them in a really great way and does it with style as opposed to being kind of sniveling like Krennic. He's always the badass. It's just he switches sides when you when you really don't know you don't know he switches sides at that point after he was trapped with Zeb. Uh, and so it's really cool to kind of see all the things that he probably leaked over the next season. Uh, 58 is going to be Fennec Shand, who was probably in hindsight the best part of the Book of Boba Fett, um, just for like what she brings to, um, I don't know, the overall action, uh, a less is more kind of quality. There's not a lot of development for like who this person is character wise, but pretty much everything she does is super, super cool. And she's been great in The Mandalorian, too. I kind of hope that she crosses back over because that's a show that I care an awful lot about. Look, I don't actually have that much to say about Fennec Shand except for that she is a total badass. Um, it's really nice to see such a character in like a female character in live action Star Wars. Um, and uh, I want to see some more. They're really like bulking up this particular generation of like Lone Ranger heroes um, and... Uh, they rarely miss, and I think I think Fennec Shand is a good example of that. Yeah, Fennec's awesome. Uh, great casting. Uh, was definitely the more badass one in the Book of Boba Fett, and certainly not what you'd expect there. Aside from the great Grogu and Mando and Luke Skywalker moments, yeah, it was definitely the best part of that show. Uh, it was great to kind of see the fact that she's been doing this since, like, the Bad Batch era, and she was called upon, and... Um, helped out Omega a little bit and we're not really sure her intentions there. So I would be, I kind of expect her to come back in the next season of Bad Batch. So that character can be fleshed out a little bit more. But yeah. Fennec's a, Fennec's a badass, somehow survived, has that really cool um, modded uh, artificial mechno stomach or whatever the oh, hell yeah. it's called. Right. Uh, but it was a character that 
we got so little of and then they had that kind of after shot with the with the spurs walking towards so you knew that there was going to be more to come uh and then uh, we see her as the the sharpshooter on the perch and so fennec's a great choice and was just uh just a couple picks later for me so another great one there well and also she gets the best of that uh cannavale exchange like he guns her down but like then she gets to walk away better and so i'm, I'm pleased with with the final outcome of that he's not going to be on our top 66 yeah <laughs> no i don't if, if we did a top uh 21,300 i don't know if he'd make that <laughs> oh wow um, <laughs> bottom bottom six uh, star I wars think, characters is kind of a fun topic i think we did it one time i, I think, think we did, did least favorite characters other than jar jar Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but there would be there would be more because I I don't think he was on that list and he would definitely make that list. Yeah, now. <laughs> I hate that guy. Uh, but yeah, um, he he won't be on here. But I'm sure it wouldn't surprise me if there was another uh, Mando character that made these last few slots. Uh, the next slot though would go to a character we I really don't think we know anything about. I think this character is going to be blown wide open in two years' time, and that would be Luthen Rail. Oh. So we know that this guy is a master of disguise. We know that this guy likes yelling, uh, like big speeches on top of weird perches Everything. in like the bowelless Coruscant. <laughs> <laughs> you know that he likes toying with Saw Gerrera a little bit. You, you know, he's this chess player of the rebellion. Sure. But what are his motives? Why has he been in this so long? Why does he have a kyber crystal? Is that weird little handle thing potentially a lightsaber in some capacity? His connection to the Force and to the past, the way the, the galaxy used to be, is not explored enough. There is way too much meat on those bones to be just some guy who decided oh i'm an art collector and i'm gonna go in and try and help the rebellion uh because i hate what the empire's doing no this guy has been wronged there is a huge story to unravel with luthan rail and i think he could jump up he might have the highest potential to jump the largest amount of anybody on this list from what we get in season two he's really interesting but i don't think we're, we've gotten even the surface scratched with him because his relationship with Cassian isn't like like the fact that he like Cassian surrenders himself at the end to him. And he has this like weird little smirk like, oh, I know what I've got in store for you. Yeah. And we know that that's going to rub off on Cassian. This is Beckett done right. And I can't wait to see more. Well, Beckett done right. That's really, you know that that's a good way to get my attention. Look, I think that this might be my biggest mistake because sometimes I let my little attitude about Andor kind of get in the way. And really, I don't have any notes for the Luthan uh, deployment that was really good and right up until the last moment certainly that speech the everything speech is uh apparently <laughs> becky just texted me that i scared her when i screamed <laughs> um <clears throat> yeah it's it's astonishing and stellan skarsgård is great and what we love in star wars is a character that they're measured and patient about exposing and they've shown that they're going to do that continuously with Luthan. I have every expectation that they're going to make him all the more interesting. And that's one of the things that draws me back to Andor, frankly. That's what's uh, got me hooked for season two, is Luthan being obviously a compelling, interesting person. Yeah, Very certainly good. maybe the most strategic character we've had since Palpatine. So I'm interested to see more. Number 60, number 60. Number 60 is Maz Kanata. And... I don't know, maybe I should have put her higher too because I really don't have any issues with with the character. It's just, again, like 
Not a huge impact on the overall story, other than that, for some reason, she was custodian of the Graflex lightsaber for a nondescript amount of time, which is kind of curious. <clears throat> I guess what they're trying to do with Maz is create a new Yoda of sorts, but not at all with the same story background, just in that she's like diminutive and a funny alien and old and old and and wise and silly, like has funny lines. And all of that's yeah. good. And I don't mind them having done that because it's not like they ripped off Yoda. They did it very interestingly. I'm sure there's more story to yep. tell. And I think initially when I saw Maz, I was thinking like, oh, I bet there's a great story to tell. And now I don't necessarily think that. I think that she's probably just been around the block and she's smart and people rely on her because she's trustworthy and she's she's kind of a badass. But the scenes that she has, particularly in The Force Awakens, uh, really good. It's like really good uh, Star Wars comedy and Lupita does it well. Yeah, I, I won't disagree with anything you said there. I think this is the lowest ranked character on my list that has been on, on our top 66, but it's not because I dislike the character. I just think there's not that much there. Yeah. Uh, for a character that's lived a thousand years, I like, I really don't feel like you have, you, you, you make it, you're almost like a, like somebody who says you're a thousand years old, but nobody's really that old. So nobody actually can really verify it, but you're only actually like 500 years old. But you're trying right. to get more cloak by saying you've been around for this long. <laughs> uh, there's just something like, yes, she's funny, but she's worthless in the next two movies. Yes. Completely fucking worthless. Yep. Uh, he's only in uh, The Rise of Skywalker because JJ was like, well, I made this character. I may as well bring this character back because Ryan didn't really use her. Um, just completely misused. Uh, I think she's interesting in the parts that she's in in The Force Awakens, but after she gives Rey the lightsaber, she's gone. Mm -hmm. She's not in that movie anymore. She is just a plot device, and so she's not even really a character. She's got so much potential to be one, and that could be an interesting story for another time. But I don't know if that other time is going to come. Uh, and so until it does, I wouldn't, uh, I can't rank her that high, but I have no objections with it because I don't dislike the character. I'm just underwhelmed and disappointed we didn't get more. Well, and for the record, we're not ranking her that high. It's 60. <laughs> She's far down the list for all the reasons you just gave. But I, there is still something there. And I do think that what they had to go on was, was pretty cool. Uh, 61. Uh, 61 will be a character that ha has been really, really well received by the Star Wars community. Somebody that you know of, but you don't have any connection to whatsoever. Uh, and that would be Cal Kestis. And so he would be the main character of Jedi Fallen Order and the new upcoming game, Jedi oh, Survivor. Okay. Uh, and so played by Cameron Monaghan, just a really solid protagonist. Somebody who was a Padawan during Order 66, had a fantastic master who sacrificed his life to let Cal live on, and then Cal had to go into hiding. That's a story we've heard before. But Cal kind of has like a PTSD that he kind of can't use the Force. So as opposed to not utilizing like the Force out of choice, he kind of forgets how to, and ultimately needs to relearn that, and goes on the journey of trying to prevent uh, the Empire from finding a list of children who are Force-sensitive. And he makes this, like, he forms this little found family. It's just a really well-constructed Star Wars story. And you get to be the character. So you're going to build, of course, a, a strong connection to that character. Cal, Cal's a little bit, a little milk toast. He's a little bland, a little bland, but 
is still a really likable character and one that I'm excited to continue being the protagonist of a trilogy of video games where you spend 20, 30 hours with the character. And so that the character needs to be pretty good uh, and definitely took some inspiration from Kyle Katarn, but with a great actor as well with Cameron Monaghan, um, it's not hard to make this a likable character that you want to follow. So Cal was an important one to, to at least make the list uh, uh, in our top 66 for me. It's interesting that that guy, Cameron Monaghan, hasn't like really pivoted into movies. He's like respected as a very good actor, and he probably makes very good coin doing the video game mocap stuff. Um, but you, you would think that by now he would have sought out sort of a movie career or like a Netflix show or something. I guess it's just working for him. Yeah, I'm sure this takes up a good amount of his time at the moment, um, just because how long video games take to do those. So there's probably pretty decent windows. He was the Joker on TV in Gotham and was actually exceptional in that. He was a fantastic Joker. He yep. played a bloody psycho. And so he's a great actor. And uh, I, I didn't watch Shameless, but people said he was really good in that as well. So he's somebody that I could see after being done this little stint, maybe getting an opportunity for live action Star Wars. And uh, I that's obviously in some way, shape, or form an opportunity that they're going to keep in, in the back of their mind the same way they did with some other animated characters that they're now bringing into live action. I'm beginning to scrape the barrel, but I'm going to put in the 62 spot Dryden Voss, who I think is Star Wars's first successful attempt at creating a Bond villain in the galaxy far, far away. The idea that he's like kind of detached nice. from any sort of like government ties, although no one really is in Star Wars, but he's kind of like in it for himself that he's just like sailing along on his party barge, being a billionaire and a, a pretty smarmy one at that, portrayed with like so much gravitas from the great Paul Bettany. Um, doesn't have like a whole lot to do uh, in, in Solo, although from when he's in control to when he's completely lost control, um, all of his scenes are are very solid. And so I like Dryden Voss a lot. I think I actually think that they really nailed that. I wouldn't change a thing about the Dryden stuff in Solo. I completely agree with you. I think they nail it entirely. He's a good character. He's utilized well. He's acted perfectly. Uh, there is nothing about his performance that is negative in Solo. Uh, there's nothing about that character that's negative. Cool ass ship, the first light, like that yacht looks awesome. Um, same yacht that Satine has in the Clone Wars or same model. Uh, it looks great just kind of coming around the mountain, even when like Kira takes off in it. The amazing room of co like collector's room that they have where they do the fight at the end, uh, the way his face kind of lights up. Dryden Voss is a really good choice. He's one of the, a great example of somebody that, um, I was, I'm glad he was outside of my top 66, but I'm really glad makes ours because he's a character I, re I really like and really enjoy. The one thing I will hold against Dryden Voss forever, and this is not Dryden Voss's fault. This is not Paul Bettany's fault. This is purely just bad luck, uh, for all of us in that this character was going to be Michael K. Williams. Right. And we'll never get Michael K. Williams in Star Wars now. Mm. Uh, and it was a scheduling conflict. He was so excited to be part of Star Wars. He was really disappointed that it didn't work and he was saying he was holding out hope for another opportunity and then of course passed away but it's something that uh, we'll never get yeah uh, i don't want to hold it against dryden voss but it, it was kind of one of those disappointing things um but yeah paul batney kills a great choice i forgot about that and that opportunity would have come too because he had a great attitude of 
about Star Wars and he he was excited to do it and they would have been happy to find a spot for Michael K. Williams, but they changed the character entirely. I think it came out to be something quite different from what they initially conceived. And I really do like what they landed. I don't think he was human. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I think he was uh, um, potentially uh, the same species of like Dryden's thugs. Um, Number 63. So next on the list, uh, 63 will be a character who would be maybe one of the most obscure characters if we were only ever referring to film. Easily would be the most obscure character on our list. Okay. Uh, and that would be Quinlan Voss. Uh, so this is somebody who has been explored a lot more through other mediums, uh, whether it's a Clone Wars arc, the book Dark Disciple being kind of mentioned in Obi-Wan Kenobi and sparking that clear joy in Obi-Wan that his friend Quinlan Voss was helping people through the right, path. Right, right, right. And this is a guy who is like one of the best agents and secret agents and spies in the Jedi Order. They choose him above everybody else. They ask Obi-Wan to be his kind of consultant and his handler. And they send Quinlan Voss undercover to work with Asajj Ventress, Dooku's rejected uh, apprentice, and then take on and kill Dooku. And then there, his long-term game plan is, okay, I'll step into Big Dooku's new apprentice. And then he fucks it up and starts like doing terrible shit in the name of Dooku because <laughs> once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. Right. But he comes back really quick. His love with the Saw's Ventress, they like it, through the book Dark Disciple, it really is able to kind of draw him back into reality. Uh, the way Anakin was super not able to be drawn back, uh, and he stays true even though she dies, and he it stays on the true path of the Jedi order. And I believe is part of the reason like that experience is probably part of the reason why he's so adamant on protecting the Jedi and being part of something like the path. He's a character I think we'll get a lot more of in the future. I'm sure they will put him in some form of live action medium at some point, uh, just because he's been mentioned or explore him maybe more in like something like the bad batch. I could absolutely see him showing up in the bad batch. Uh, he was in a really cool clone wars arc with Obi-Wan where they do uh and they go to Nal Hutta and they do some like kind of searching through like the like the Hut family to, to, to track them down. And so, yeah, great character and somebody that uh, I think you would absolutely love uh, to, to see on, on screen. Great. I can't wait. Number 64 is Jin Urso. In a sense, I feel a little sleazy about not putting her in sooner. Like this is the lead and a hero of one of, you know, very few Star Wars movies that exist. Um, and part of her issue is that she kind of lives in the shadow of Daisy Ridley, like having come out just the year after, um, not, you know, the same degree of charisma, but some of that is in the writing, not Felicity Jones's fault. Um, it's mm. also just a darker movie. Um, and it's a movie with a lot of people and all of, almost all of them are brand new. So the first time you see Rogue One, it's kind of like a lot to take in, but for a character who's quite serious, she's still, uh, she still bears a lot of the essential Star Wars hero tropes, just a determination to do what's right, uh, bravery in spite of her being like kind of scrappy and on her own. Um, she has a very good, very good chemistry with Cassian. Um, and, you know, she 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 gets the job done. And so she's not our favorite part of that movie, although she's a big part of it. And I'm never mad that she's around. I kind of feel like I'm apologizing for picking Jin for some reason. I do think that I want her on, on the list. I actually like Jin or so a lot. Now we, we tend to spend more time talking about Cassian, not just because he has his own show. Um, but, but Jin matters. 
Yeah, Jin's somebody that just really has never connected with me. Uh, I find her attitude to be frustrating and then changes really fast. Just not a character that I, I, I find a whole lot to, to, to grab into. I know that other people who have read, in particular, Rebel Rising, really appreciate Jenner so more because they detail her backstory more in that book. They get You really get to know the character and see her perspective a little bit better and as a result, understand Rogue One a little bit more. Uh, Jin is a, certainly it's a good character. I just think underwhelming and is in no way the standout in that movie for me. And you kind of want your lead character to be that a bit. Uh, but Jin Erso is, isn't a bad character. Her relationship with her father is really interesting to watch. Uh, she's somebody who plays an incredibly important role in the overall stakes of the galaxy and what happens. She's mentioned in the, like basically in the original trilogy, sorry, in the original Star Wars crawl of 1977, mm -hmm. she is the rebel spy striking from a hidden base. <laughs> she, that is exactly her. Uh, and she leads that way. And so you're right. It would have been a mistake to not have Jyn Erso on this list. Uh, somebody who is uh, a fair bit down on, on my list, uh, just because I'm not a huge fan, right around the Maz Kanata era area on my list, but uh, not for disliking the character, just because feeling that uh, I would have liked a little bit more. She does continue the long Star Wars tradition of having daddy issues. Like how many Star Wars characters have either daddy issues, granddaddy issues, or both? She's in there. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And somebody that, like that's just a consistent issue, but family is always is a big thing. And I'm glad they didn't make her mother Lyra a, a, a force user. They were going to do that because then forever people would have theorized that Jin was. I'm glad nobody ever does. Uh, but yeah, definitely the, the Daisy Ridley thing. I know there were a lot of casual Star Wars fans that just assumed, oh, it's uh, a, a brunette English actress in her mid 20s. It's the same person. <laughs> so. Yeah, but that's that's weak. Uh, that's is, lazy. This is your last choice. This is 65. This is the last addition you get to make to the master list. I I'm completely honest when I say this. I moved around a lot of people in small sections, and the most active section was the 51 through 57 range on my yeah, list. I see that. And I currently have uh 54, 56, 57, 58, 59. Uh, everything before 50 all checked off. My 51, 52, and 53 are still there. And uh, oh my God, I don't know which one to pick. Ah. Uh, and so I don't like this because there's a, a pretty good chance two of them could be one that you pick. I really doubt one of the other ones is. Um, well, talk, talk out loud. Tell me what they are. Okay. You don't have so to be secretive. The three, that, that is true, I guess. The three are, are Snoke, IG-11 and Bo-Katan. These are three characters who have a lot of significance in a lot of different ways. IG-11 is fun and probably the one I've crossed is the least likely. I'm probably going to go with Bo-Katan or Snoke here. Um, Snoke has such a huge impact and being such a red herring, incredible movie moments. I think the story of Snoke is going to continuously be explored through the Mandalorian uh, and the Bad Batch because it's the story of cloning, basically. Yes. Uh, I think there's going to be a tie-in with Grogu in there. Seeing him show up in a tank in the Rise of Skywalker and Mandalorian was cool. But seeing Bo-Katan jetpack down on that barge and save Grogu and Din was so goddamn cool. And to have a character who was part of like the most 
extreme of the Mandalorians uh, in part of the the, the Death Watch group uh, in the Clone Wars era to then ruling Mandalore to then losing that to Moff Gideon and having her entire planet destroyed. This is a character we're going to get a lot more of and could be the big bad of uh, the next little bit of Mandal- I can of see Mandalorian. Yeah. So this is a tough one for me. Uh, what does your heart tell you? Your next, uh, my heart tells me to stick with the list I had and to go with the one I had at 51 before. And I'm going to go with Bo-Katan. For the reasons I said, Bo-Katan is a really interesting character. I'm I'm really hoping you say Snoke for 66, but I'll, I'll let you choose whatever you want. Um, Bo-Katan is somebody that is plinkoing between good and bad and doesn't know what she wants to do. Her sister is a, a queen duchess pacifist and was in love with Obi-Wan Kenobi. She's basically perfect. And Bo-Katan <laughs> is basically a lifelong fuck up. Yeah. Everything she does, she's done poorly. She sides with a bunch of terrorists. And then after she realized these are people are terrorists, let me go help the Republic. Oh shit. The Republic are also the Empire. Let me go help Aunt Mandalore. Oh shit, Mandalore just got taken over by the Empire. Let me go find this Din guy. Oh, Din just got the Darksaber and he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. She is a giant failure, but is still fascinating and a badass at the same time. Katie Sackhoff portrays her extremely well. You can see the conflict. You can see that this is an unhappy person. Hmm. Uh, and I'm really curious to know what that unhappiness is going to lead to. That's great. Um, I'll tell you what. I'm going to put Snoke in 66 um, because I was going to pick him next anyway. Uh, But I would have, I would have, I would have punished you if you picked Snoke and I would not have picked Bo-Katan next in spite of everything you just said, having been true. And I do think that there's an opportunity for her to be like a really incredible villain. If that's the way they want to go with her in the next season, it seems like they were setting that up. Maybe, um, maybe not. I, I would be excited for for them to to do that storyline. Um, but her landing on the jetpack, I don't really even associate that with Bo-Katan. Like, that's a great Mandalorian moment. But, like, I don't necessarily have uh, a special connection to Bo-Katan, perhaps because I haven't spent as much time with her as you. And what I was toying with doing for the last pick, if it wasn't someone obvious like Snoke was putting Jar Jar in there. And it would have hurt you to put Jar Jar in there in spite of a, instead of a character who you really love. Except there's a part of me. Yes. And now, by the way, I think he's like one of the most essential honorable mentions on this list. He might be the most hated Star Wars character of all time. Uh, but you know what? Like, he, for me, he didn't ruin the movie. And, and, and he is there for no. a reason. And a lot of what he was put there to do, he does successfully. Um, and so... Yes, he talks funny, and anyway, I don't have to justify Jar Jar. He didn't make the list. Snoke um, is a great red herring for the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, um, that final throne room duel uh, after he's uh, amazingly assassinated. What a great uh, tilt of expectations, um, and just how he, as you said, how he relates to the overall cloning story of the Skywalker saga. Very, very important. Andy Serkis um, has turned in two very good uh Star Wars uh, performances. Two on this list. Did you say uh, the other guy at some point? You didn't? No. K- Kino? Yeah, is, Kino. So IG-11's next, and Kino Loy is right after oh, that. Oh, it's pretty close. So Kino Loy would would have, yeah, he was uh, 55 on my list, uh, so very, very, very high up. Um, 
but uh, with the crossover, didn't make the cut. My rankings have kind of just like fallen to bits uh, as we've been talking about this, and I've been going with my gut a little bit more so, but like some honorable mentions that I have here, I knew you were never going to say General well, Hux. actually... Yeah, well, actually, I just want to kind of insert there. You do have one extra honorable mention that gets the slot of our canon top 66. Because you chose Kyle Katarn. Yeah. So you get one extra honorable mention that gets a star. Are you going to give it to Jar Jar or who are you going to give it to? I want to give it to Jar Jar. I have to. Fair enough. <laughs> I figured you would based off of the what you just said. I do. Um, so yeah, I, I'm glad I'm glad he's not on our list. I'm he's okay not. with him being our obscure honorable mention. Star, look, Carl Turn is a Star Wars character. He, he like might not be recognized by yes, Disney, but like if he's a car character in anything, it's a Star Wars thing. Um, but yeah, I knew you were never yeah. going to say General Hux, and I I don't want him on the list either. But like some of his scenes are good. He's just not the reason they're good. Um, Baru Lars, yeah. there's nothing I could say about her that Owen Lars doesn't frankly uh, do a little bit more effectively. But like she matters a lot in Star Wars. Yeah. And like I also well, thought, actually, Baru is really good at hiding guns. As <laughs> it turns out, she's a she's a friggin' machete menace. Yeah, I know. And then I also toyed yeah. in the finals with saying uh, Admiral Akbar, not because like I care so much about his character or his design, but like his legacy within Star Wars is three words and it's one of the most essential memes to ever come out of the franchise. And so like, and like the look of him, He's, he matters. Oh, absolutely. Akbar is uh, 72 on my list. Um, so Ak he's, Gail Akbar is an, an important character. He's an impressive rebel general. The funny part about It's a Trap is Leia says it a whole damn movie early, and she screams it in a hilarious way. Too. Right. She's like, it's a crap. Yeah. And so it's it, of all the people, he gets the accolades there. But I mean, if it's 50% of your lines, it's of course going to be recognized. That's uh, like who else was in your honorable mentions? I, I don't have it. Like, I put, I just to like try and fill out uh, some characters. Like, I have Newt Gunray in front of me, but I don't like Newt Gunray. So I would never put him on a list. Sebulba, just not enough to him. But I had a Sebulba pod racer action figure set when I was a kid, and I, I loved it. Um, Kaedi Mundi was always the Jedi Council member who, like, he doesn't do anything, but, like, I just was always kind of fascinated by his enormous head, and so he's, I've always remembered yeah, his he's name an guy. for that reason. Does he have a good story, Kaedi Mundi? Uh, he's a very interesting Jedi. He's, uh, one of the only married Jedi, mm -hmm. uh, he's got, uh, I think it's a couple brains, or I don't remember if it's hearts. extra hearts or extra I think, brains I think it's there. hearts. I think it's actually, yeah, it, is it hearts? Okay. Uh, he's a very calm, gentle guy in his Clone Wars arcs, uh, but at the same time, he's also uh, like a hardcore rules guy and mm. is super wrong every time he says anything <laughs> uh, in in the movies. Basically, well, not like the what about the droid attack and the Wookies, but like Dooku is a political idealist, not a murderer. It's just like, sorry, man, he's a hardcore murderer and he's going to kill millions of people. Give me just a couple uh, um, honorable mentions and then let me know if there's anybody you'd like to shift around. Uh, so IG-11, I think that was a great uh, Good one. Just yep. missed the cut. Kino Loy. Uh, I'm going to go in order. Uh, Tech uh, from the Bad Batch. I like Tech is my favorite of the Bad Batch crew. Uh, Dedra from Andor. I think Dedra was phenomenally acted yeah, and just an interesting character there. 
uh, Zeb and then Sabine from Rebels. Uh, great characters that want to see more of. Gonna, we're going to see a lot more Sabine, so she will definitely rise up the ranks. Uh, Hunter uh, and Omega from The Bad Batch. Uh, Rio from Solo. Uh, Markeon Rowe, who is uh, one of the bad guys in the High Republic era. So just a book character, but a really fascinating character. Also very well performed in the audiobooks. Uh, Babu Freak. Yeah. Uh, Admiral Akbar. Uh, Crosshair, uh, AP5, who's a droid in Rebels, who I actually think is extremely funny. Uh, I forget who voices him, but he's doing an Alan Rickman impression for the voice. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really, really excellent. And the character I just think is, is a delight. Uh, Loden Greatstorm from the High Republic, the Grand Inquisitor. Oh, yeah. Uh, Beckett, uh, Melshi from Andor and, uh, Rogue One, Grievous. Grievous, I think, is probably the most well-known character to miss our list. I thought about Grievous a little bit, and like, obviously, there's something very unique about Grievous that you don't want to mm. dismiss. But I don't. I think just the character was just too. <laughs> and this comes from a guy who like considered Jar Jar, but like, it's just just something off about him—the coughing and I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He he's displayed in too many ways. He's super powerful in some. He's not powerful in others. Uh, the coughing is a little too over the top. Execution's okay. Very cool concept. Uh, and I'd be okay if he had made our top 66. Right. Uh, still an interesting character. Uh, Galen Erso, Reva, Satine, Baze Malbus, uh, the second sister, who's one of the villains in Jedi Fallen Order. Sid, who's Rhea Perlman in The Bad Batch. Oh. Um, Plo Koon. Um, and then we're getting into really just a bunch of characters that you just don't know. Uh, Hux at 97, though. Um, Val at 98. Um, and Ro then, yeah, like, getting into like Rose Tico, we Wedge like, and Holdo. And, yeah. Yeah. You just get getting further into those people down. in the early hundreds. What What are the big mistakes we made? Besides that this was like uh, subjective and, and uh, in theory, none of it was wrong. Yeah, I actually think we did a pretty good job. I don't think there's anybody here that we really missed that like Grievous is the biggest character that we didn't include. And I think we both agree that's okay. Uh, Plagueis, despite being a total like just whoosh on my part, I still think is probably in a pretty good spot. I don't know if I'd want to move him up much. Um, 48 really 48. goes down to like stakes. Like I'm okay if like even if we moved Vader ahead of Yoda, Yoda's my favorite character, but I think Vader is the best character so i'm not against that even if we move our one and two which it's is neck and neck funny, yeah but... yeah okay well yeah, then uh, we're gonna like lock I'm, it in i'm i'd be fine with that uh, yeah I'm, I'm, gonna I'm pretty good quickly anybody re... else stand out to you well no because like i said i was having a hard time like remembering enough characters just to get to 66 but you just said beckett a minute ago and i was like holy shit i never even thought about beckett um who is a character i like kind of like although he's just too he's too woody -y. Um, and so I probably wouldn't have ranked him, but like, it's amazing that you can look up like uh, Star Wars side characters to get inspiration for an exercise like this. And they're not going to be serviceable. You you really have to like think deep because everybody knows 66 Star Wars characters. The question is, you know, do you know 200? Uh, you might. Uh, okay, so I think we did pretty good. I'm just going to read down the, the names that we came up with today, starting with number 45, which was K2SO, then Django Fett. Wicket, Darth Plagueis, Mon Mothma, Grief Karga, BB-8, Krennic, Ezra Bridger, Kira, Chirrut Imwe, Shmi Skywalker, Agent Callus, Fennec Shand, Luthen at 60, Maz Kanata, 
uh, Cal Kestis, Dryden Voss, Quinlan Voss, uh, Jin Urso, Bo-Katan, and Snoke rounds out the bottom of the list. And so that was our three-part breakdown of 66 favorite Star Wars characters. Pretty good. Yeah, and I we, we really got the ones I, I was really eager to make sure. I'm, I'm very happy I didn't choose IG-11 over Bo-Katan, uh, and I'm happy you got Snoke in there. That really made for a good one. Uh, just IG-11 and Kino Loy on the outside looking in. Uh, but I like our list. That was good. We had a Mando trailer this week. That was kind of a, a nice surprise. Yeah, it was uh, talked about heavily uh, the day before it came out, and so everybody was gearing up and waiting for it, and it did not disappoint. Yeah. I thought it was bloody incredible. Uh, it got me so excited. Uh, the amount of time we're going to spend in space seems like that's going up. I'm really happy we have more Carson Teva, so we're going to get to see yeah. kind of like an inside look at the way the Republic's going. Uh, we got shots of either Coruscant or Hosnian Prime. I'm not sure which one it is. I hope it's Coruscant, but I also wouldn't be against it being Hosnian Prime. That'd be kind of cool uh, to get a little bit of insight there and also make that moment have a little bit more weight in The Force Awakens. Uh, Going to get some more from Dr. Pershing to see if maybe he's working with the Rebels uh, and going undercover in the Empire or if he's been released back to the Empire. Um, no Bo-Katan in this one. No Moff Gideon. Uh, we got a quick shot of Amy Sedaris. Mm. R5 is in the yeah. <laughs> is in Mando's ship at one point. It looks like uh, he maybe replaces that bubble and just gets Grogu in the cockpit with him instead. Uh, like he even shows him teaching him how to fly the N1. So that was kind of cute. It'd be interesting to uh, see. Overall, yeah, I I'm really excited for it. It'd be interesting to see how they catch people up about the mando grogu reunion and it'll probably just be in like a previously on star wars kind of thing but it'd be even more interesting to see if anybody's pissed off about it if they've gone this long and really didn't mm. know that they missed a huge part of their story and uh if it works then we've kind of crossed a line and and star wars's ability to tell stories non-linearly and across different uh legs of limbs of the franchise um I guess their options are are limitless. Maybe also it helps that there hasn't been Mando in like almost two years, and so people don't totally remember mm. what happened when it when it wrapped up anyway. But it was pretty memorable when Grogu went off with Luke Skywalker, and it didn't end up lasting. And so we'll see how people feel about it returning. Yeah, it'll be. It looks like they're going to rehash some moments, like we see a flat the Grogu's flashback again, and so that means we're probably going to see who saves Grogu from the Jedi Temple, which is really cool. We could also see that they got Hayden Christensen to film some more scenes during Kenobi oh, yeah. during those flashbacks, and we could see Anakin breaking through the door wow. and someone swooping in to take Grogu. That'd like, how cool would that be? That'd be huge. Like, yeah. you get both Anakin and Luke in the same series. Mm. What? Uh, and also both from like in these weird ways that they're executing it. Uh, so I'm expecting not too many people to be annoyed. I think most people are aware of what happened. I think it's something I don't want to see ever again in Star Wars. Yeah, I don't want something so instrumental to one show take place in another show. It's just weird. It's so weird. Uh, it can be the inciting incident. Like if this was a brand new show, then sure. And like the inciting incident occurs in another show, kind of like Ahsoka finding out like, where's your master? Where's Grand Admiral Thrawn? That's called a backdoor that pilot. That's the that inciting happens. incident. Yeah, exactly. Backdoor pilot is fine. 
Don't give me a backdoor season three premiere in the middle of another show. That's <laughs> right. weird. So, so weird. I can't wait till March 1st, though. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And it's just uh, re restarted that energy. Lots of Mandalorians uh, and lots of Mandalore. So I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, in the Mandalorian for a change. Any other big Star Wars news that we ought to hit on before we give it a rest? I don't think so. Uh, the Bad Batch has been going on. Uh, that's been that's been decent thus far. Uh, I haven't seen episode four yet. I'm going to watch it right after we do this, uh, just because uh, I've been able to tune in in the mornings. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. People are getting ready for for Mandalorian. I don't think there's a whole lot going on. There's some shows that. I mean, everybody's talking about kind of the film slate as to what's going on there, what we're going to hear at Celebration, what will be announced. Uh, celebrations, I think, a little earlier this year than sometimes. Uh, so I I'm curious to know if the Damon Lindelof film will be announced, uh, what's going on with uh, maybe Daisy Ridley returning in some kind of capacity. Uh, but I think we'll probably get some announcements in the next little while. Maybe something will be like maybe some Ahsoka footage at the end of Mandalorian's uh, season three, the same way we got a uh, book of Boba Fett intro in uh, the end of Mandalorian season two, something like that could maybe happen. That would be kind of exciting. Uh, people chatting about that a little bit. So remains to be seen, but not too much else in the news world there. Let us know what you think about our final uh, breakdown of our 66 favorite Star Wars characters. And as we said, you know, please send us yours. You can tweet at Recorder66 or email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Or if you have any other thoughts uh, on the podcast or uh, Star Wars in general, we'd love to hear them. Also, be sure to rate and review on your preferred podcast app, or if you're with us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. Until we are together again, may the Force be with you.